Good morning, everybody. Please pray with me. Father God, as we celebrate the coming of your Son, the Lord Jesus, the Savior of the world, we pray today that indeed you would be fostering in our hearts and in our minds, not only that we would know of his coming, but that we would indeed feel the significance of what you have done. Help us in this for the sake of our good and for your glory. Amen. It's Christmas Sunday. This weekend, tens of millions of people around the country are traveling throughout the United States to celebrate the Christmas holiday with their families. There's just something about being with your family on Christmas. I wonder what some of your fondest family memories are as it relates to Christmas. Some of you, those memories might be more recent. Others, they might be childhood memories as you think back on days long ago. Some of your memories might be like mine. I remember back to my childhood and the times that we would be together around the Christmas tree throughout Christmas morning, opening presents and playing and laughing and having a good time. And as the day advanced, the extended family would descend upon our home. Grandmas and grandpas and aunts and uncles and cousins all together for a large meal. And inevitably, after the meal was over, each section of people finding their way to a different part of the house, the cousins, to go and compare notes on what they had scored that morning, to engage in some sort of imaginative game that was indefinitely fueled by the sugar of Christmas cookies, and then out to the backyard to play ice hockey on the frozen pond of our Minnesota home. The ants, after some of the work was done, sitting around the table, drinking coffee and catching up on the happenings of the day. And for the uncles, they would find themselves in a place where there was some game on in the background on the television. And sometimes they would talk. And sometimes they wouldn't. And inevitably, one or maybe two would doze off for their afternoon nap. Great memories attached to those family Christmases. My family Christmases. For others of you, your family background may have been more difficult. And today, you are making the very memories for your children that you wish that you had had. Your children or maybe your grandchildren are experiencing Christmas in the warmth of a loving home. And although nothing is perfect and nothing is truly idyllic in its nature, to be together as a family on Christmas is something special. It does something to those who are bound together in this type of relationship during this time of year. A family Christmas. No matter what your family is like, there is something unique, something special, and often something wonderful about a family Christmas. Well, this morning I want to talk to you about another kind of family and another kind of family Christmas. Because 
what we celebrate on Christmas in the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ is the means by which God actually creates another type of family. And this family that is created by his coming and through those who believe in him is a family that has lasting uniqueness as it gives its family members great joy. John chapter 1 is a passage that describes the coming of Jesus in theological terms. Uh, There's no wise men, no Mary and Joseph, no baby being laid in a manger, but it describes some of the most significant pieces of Jesus' birth and what it means for us today. And one of those things it describes is the creation of a family. And so if you have not yet opened your Bible, please do so to John chapter 1. You'll find it on page 888 of the Pew Bible in front of you. And today we consider just two verses in this description of the coming of Jesus. John writes of his coming, and in verse 12 he says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. He gave the right to become children of God. And in the giving of that right, a family was created. The coming of Jesus makes way for us to be part of the family of God. And this morning, I want to talk about four ways that that's important to us. The first is perhaps the most obvious to us in some ways, but when you really stop to think about it, has some of the greatest benefit to us. And that is in the creation of this family, this family has a loving father. The New Testament is filled with the expression of God as a father. And in fact... He's the father of Jesus in internal internal relationship with him, but he's also the father of all of those who would believe in Jesus. Nearly every page of the New Testament describes God in the terms of a father. And in fact, the fatherhood of God is one of the greatest gifts of being part of his family. I wonder how often you think about God as your father. And what do you think about when you do? There are a lot of ways that his fatherly love is expressed to us. And here are just a few. The first is just the plain fact that he loves us enough to make us his children. 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 and 2 points to this. It says, see what kind of love the father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. 
So to have a father that loves you and expresses his love to you is life-changing in this life. But to have a heavenly father that loves you and expresses his love to you is not only life-changing in this life, but it is also eternally altering because he adopts you into his family as one of his children. His love is expressed in a lot of different ways, but 1 John 3 we see the mere adoption as children that we'll talk a little bit more about tomorrow is an incredible act of love in and of itself. And what is further is that we will continue to bear his resemblance. And this resemblance would be even more clear, the resemblance of sons and daughters to a father at the end of time. And so I think the implication of this for us is that if we have a loving father and we are his children and he's changing us to look like himself and we want to look like him because he is indeed perfect in every single way, then and as much as it is up to us with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind and all of our strength, we love him back. And in doing so, we participate in our own change into his likeness. How do children express their love to their fathers? By doing what their father asked them to do. <laughs> By orienting their lives in a fashion that aligns with his leading. This is very different than sort of the idea of begrudgingly obeying God, the God who is no fun and has all of these strict rules. It's just the opposite because we know we are becoming like him and we want to be like him because he's our loving father. Another way that God loves us is that he loves us enough to show us compassion. Psalm 103.13 says, As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. God also loves us enough as our father to show steadfastness to us. Because like all children, God's children waver. <laughs> we struggle. We have moments of loving obedience and moments of intentional or willful rebellion. But the steadfast love of a father is shown as God looks at the faith of his child. He sees how that faith is expressed throughout his or her life and exercises his promise-keeping, everlasting love to those who are truly his. For some of you today, that is very good news because you may feel like you're wandering, like you're straying. But you know him. And you trust his son, Jesus. And so the call for you is to come back and know that he exercises his steadfast love to you. Psalm 103, verses 17 and 18 says, But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. And his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commands. Another way that God loves us is that God loves us enough 
to provide for us and even to give to us generously. This is important for us because we know that we have very real and tangible needs that we can't often see how they're going to be met. Physical or material needs, health concerns, emotional and spiritual needs. And we become stricken with anxiety or fear, wondering if we're going to make it through next week, next month, or next year. But, my friends, we have a loving Father. And one of the greatest joys of being part of this family with this Father is that he promises to meet the needs of his children. Matthew chapter 6, verse 26, Jesus says, Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them, are you not of more value than they? Or Luke 12, 32, Jesus says, Fear not, little flock, for it's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. That the Almighty God of the universe would give his children his kingdom. And that gives him, gives him great pleasure. The coming of Jesus makes a way for us to be part of the family of God. And that's what we celebrate on Christmas. The second reason why this is important for us today is because this family takes the name of its father. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 3 points to this. It says the Apostle Paul is writing to the Ephesian church and he is writing his prayer to them. And in chapter 3 he says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. So Paul writes the contents of some of his prayers to God on behalf of these people so that they would know. But he also describes the way in which he prays. And that description is significant. He bows his knees. Why does he do that? Well, to bow your knees is the action of one who recognizes the authority of a majestic king who sits on his throne that's who you bow your knees before. It's a sign of homage and submission to one who is universally powerful. And it's a physical action that says, you are able to change the very things before me right now. And so I bow before you and say, your will be done. But here, this posture is not simply addressed to a king. It's addressed to his father. By whom he is named. And by whom the Christians he is praying for are named. And so he asks boldly, to this universally powerful king who is also his father. And he asks in the subsequent verses that according to his great riches that he would strengthen those Christians in their inner being. <laughs> and he asks that they would know the love of Christ truly by faith 
and therefore be grounded in that love. I mean, that sounds like something a son would ask for from a father. And it sounds like something that a father would gladly give to one of his sons. (laughs) A little boy in New York walked into a large bank, past the policeman, past the teller, passed the vice president, and he went right up to the president of the company, and he spoke to him while others stood outside looking at the sign that said, no admittance. The boy could speak to the president because the president was his father. And so too it is with the children of God. Entering the throne room of the majestic King of Kings and Lord of Lords and bowing their knee to him and say, Father, give me the things that fathers give their children because I need them. The coming of Jesus makes way for us to be part of the family of God. And the third reason why that's important is because this family is identified by their love. I don't know what your family gathering is going to be like over the next couple of days. I can imagine that some will be great joy and identified by love and others will be tense conversation trying to avoid the politics of our time. But did you know that the writers of the New Testament epistle refer to Christians, fellow Christians, very often as brothers or sisters? In fact, over a hundred times in the New Testament, the writers of the epistles are talking to the, or writing to the Christians and calling them brothers or sisters. A hundred times. This is not simply some nice-sounding religious title. It's the indication that the very core of their relationship has changed. And it's changed because of the coming of the Lord Jesus and their mutual belief upon him. They're not part of the same club. They do not merely have the same interests. They do not simply believe the same things. They do not just go to church together. The coming of the Lord Jesus makes a way for all of them to be part of the family of God. And now when they believe upon him, they all become family members one with another. And so too, Christians here at Old North, you will hear us sometimes refer to each other as brother or sister. And this is not just a contemporary religious title for one another. It is actually an affectionate term that says, you were once very different than me, but now we are family. And so we take seriously verses like Hebrews chapter 13, 1, which says, keep on loving each other as brothers. Or Jesus' words in John 13, 34, which is a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. Or Galatians 6, 10. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Why? Because they're family. Because the love of the Father that he has bestowed to us as his children is so profound that we too intentionally turn and exercise that same love to the members of our family. Because 
I don't know if you've caught it yet, but these people, these Christians, these brothers and sisters are actually going to be part of your family for eternity. Now, some people might ask at this point, so do, do our physical families, do they create a mirror for the type of family that God is creating, or how does that work? I think it can be answered this way. The physical family is not a concrete picture for us of an abstract idea. Rather, it's one step toward an even greater reality. <laughs> In the New Testament, we see these writers addressing fellow members of an eternal, real, spiritual family whose origin is the ultimate reality, the person of God himself. Rudyard Kipling once wrote about families. All of us are we and everyone else is they. A family shares things like dreams and hopes and possessions and memories and smiles, frowns and gladness. A family is a clan held together with the glue of love and a cement of mutual respect. A family is shelter from the storm, a friendly port when the waves of life become too wild. No person is ever alone who is the member of a family. And so when God sends his son, the Lord Jesus, and gives all of those who would believe in him the right to become children, it is the promise expressed today, I will never leave you nor forsake you. But as you see in John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, you'll notice that not everyone is a child of God. Not everyone is automatically part of the family. Consider it with me again. He says in verse 12, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Today, when you hear the phrase family of God, I wonder what you think about. I reckon that most of us probably think one of two things. Some of us would say family of God, well, that's, that's a church, that's a local church. And in some respects, you'd be right. The local church is an expression of a local piece of the family of God. Others of us might think that everyone is naturally part of God's family. I mean, after all, God is the creator. We are created in God's image. And God is a loving God. And therefore, we're all part of his family. But that's not actually so. The children of God are those who believe in the Son of God. Jesus says in John 14, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Family language. 
However, whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. And so you can't truly have the fatherhood of God without believing in the sonship of Jesus. That's what John chapter 1 reveals to us about the nature of this family. Is that you can't have the fatherhood of God without believing in the sonship of Jesus. You can't be part of the family if you don't believe in the Son of God who came. And so Jesus came. And we celebrate his birth on Christmas and we rejoice in what it means for us in all kinds of ways, including what it means for our family. And through him, we can truly have this family. But is this required to have a good Christmas? I have, over the years, thoroughly enjoyed the great American storyteller, Garrison Keillor. Some of you have heard Garrison Keillor's many stories about Lake Wobegon, Minnesota, where all of the women are strong, all of the men are good-looking, and all of the children are above average. Garrison Keillor has claimed that you don't have to believe in Jesus to have a great Christmas. Some time ago he said that although you may decide that instead of Christmas carols, you're going to hold hands and breathe in unison, Christmas will still live deep in the cockles of your heart. Or actually, in your neocortex, stored as zillions of neuron impulses. It's your brain that sends tears to your eyes when you smell the saffron cookies your grandmother used to make. Or when you sing Silent Night. So Christmas is, number one, lights. Number two, food. Number three, song. And number four, being with the people you like. You need no more. And in one sense, I suppose he's right. And in another, he misses something infinitely greater. Yes, you can have a great celebration of Christmas without belief in Jesus as the Son of God. You can enjoy lights and the food and the song, and you can even enjoy your family. But there is a greater joy waiting for you, a greater meaning attached to this celebration that we engage in every year. Some will say, I don't see God in my life I don't see him here right now in the midst of all of this chaos of our times. And where is God in Christmas? And I love the story that Haddon Robinson tells about the young man from Chicago who went down to the bluegrass regions of Kentucky where he met and wooed a young woman who ultimately came back to Chicago to be his bride. They enjoyed three, just three lovely years of marriage and then one day, in the midst of sickness and a seizure, the young woman lost her mind. From that time forward, when she was at her best, she was a bit demented. And at her worst, she would scream in agonizing, 
pain as her neighbors complained because the screams cut through the air of their neighborhood and it was hard to live with. And so the young man left his home in the middle of Chicago. He went out to one of the western suburbs. He built a house where he would try to nurse his wife back to health and to sanity again. And one day the family physician suggested that perhaps if you were able to take his wife back to Kentucky, back to familiar territory, perhaps this would remind her of days gone by and restore her sanity. And so back to the homestead they went. And as they walked through the house where memories hang from the wall and walked through the garden down by the riverside where the first cowslips and violets were in bloom, they enjoyed the time, but after several days, nothing seemed to happen. And so defeated and discouraged, the young man put his wife back in the car and they headed back toward Chicago. And when they got close to the house, he looked over and he discovered that his wife was asleep. It was the first deep and restful sleep that she had had in many weeks. And when they got to the house, he lifted her out and he carried her into the bedroom, into her bed, realizing that she desired to sleep some more. And so he sat by her bedside through the course of the evening, through the midnight hours, all the way until the rays of sun at daybreak broke through the glass and shone on her face. And then she aroused. And she looked at him and she said, I seem to have been on a long journey. Where have you been? And the man, speaking out of the days and weeks and months of patient waiting and watching, said, my sweetheart, I've been right here waiting for you all this time. Some might ask, where is God in the midst of Christmas? I've never seen him. I've never felt him. I've only experienced a variety of things around Christmas that don't remotely seem godly to me. And the answer is very much the same. He's right here. Right here waiting for you to respond with love, to love. Waiting for you to respond with trust in his son to the promise that he gives. Waiting for you to cast yourself upon the grace of God. And waiting for you to discover what it means to be loved by God. To be part of his family. And so I invite you, my friends, to a different kind of family Christmas. Not the family Christmas defined by a ham or a turkey and Christmas gifts around a tree. But the kind of Christmas that is defined by an everlasting family with a loving father who sends his son. Family. Because the coming of Jesus makes a way for us to be part of that family. The family of God. Will you pray with me? Our loving Father, our words cannot 
express nor even our minds to fully appreciate what you have done for us by adopting us as your own and making us part of your family. Father, for those here today who for years have been on the fringe of this family looking in, not fully comprehending the nature of why Jesus came, I pray today that today would be the day of faith in this Son for the forgiveness of sins and therefore to receive all of the benefits of your fatherhood and of this family. For those of us, God, who know the Lord Jesus and who love him, we are reminded afresh today of what you have done in his coming, and we worship you. Help us to love you more sincerely. Help us to engage in this family more directly. And would you be glorified this Christmas as we remember the coming of Christ and how he gives us entrance into this family through belief in him. We pray in his mighty, mighty name. Amen.